0: Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans podcast, where we review the games we've been playing and delve into a variety of discussion topics. My name is Bob.
1: And I'm Natasha.
0: And on today's episode, we're going to be discussing some of the games we've been playing, and then our discussion topic is going to be getting our friends who are non-gamers into the hobby.
2: All right.
1: So this week I played Let's Make a Bus Route, the dice game. It's a roll and write game for one or two players only. designed by sashi and published by sashi and sashi in this game players are bus drivers designing the best bus route for their passengers they do this by rolling six dice on their turn they select three of the dice which are going to be different types of passengers that they pick up and mark these passengers on the board then the other player is going to take one of the remaining three dice and draw a section on the bus route on their shared player board each die face has a rule for how the bus route can be formed But you can always take a penalty to adjust the movement as you design your bus route you get to drop off your passengers stop by the university gain abilities to pick up more passengers and various other things that you that will gain you points once the second player selects the route on their board the dice are passed to them to roll and select three new dice and it continues for a total of 12 rounds what makes this game unique is the shared player board each player has their own unique board where they collect passengers, but then there's a shared bus route where you're designing your bus route and dropping off your passengers. You can go anywhere you want in this city. However, if you go down a street where your opponent was at, you create traffic and you get a penalty. This game's a, a lot of fun. I really like it. It's quick and you're engaged in every turn. I love the artwork, the style of it. It's really unique. It, it feels a lot like let's make a bus route, but a little less control about what passengers you get. Since it depends on the dice that you roll instead of the original, where you pick them up as you are moving along and, and making your route.
0: I think I actually prefer this version over the regular version. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I think this version has a lot of, all right, this is what you get, make the best of it. Yeah. You know, where, yeah. you know, you're opportunistic about what you're going to be doing, you know, round to round. And you can, there's a lot more control you have of giving your opponent specific things because whatever you don't take, I have to now look at, okay, what am I going to use? How am I going to do my route Mm -hmm. based on what you've given me?
1: And if you've already used those routes, then then, um, you can't select them anymore.
0: Yeah, I kind of wish this played more than two, Mm -hmm. but I think I like this version better than the regular let's make a bus route. Okay. Yeah.
1: Interesting, I like I don't know which one I like better, I think they're they're different enough, yeah, um I like the dice with this one I you know it is only two players, so if you want to play more than two, then you need to play the original. Mm-hmm. The only negative I have about the game is the the dice are printed pictures on it, and they're already wearing out, and I've really only played it like maybe eight times so far,
0: yeah, that was a bummer,
1: yeah, they're already starting to fade, like I'm gonna have to put a new sticker on it or color it in somehow. Because they're almost gone.
0: Well, and this your copy is from overseas, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if the, like the quality is just different, but yeah, it's fading yeah. really fast. It almost looks like a game that you've played a thousand times.
1: Yeah, and I've played like uh, at most ten. Yeah. yeah. And the um, the box lid comes with felt on the inside, so you can roll the dice inside of it, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Except for it's a little bit rippled, so you don't want to use it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it just it just enhances the rolling effect. They did that on it. They did that on like a purpose. A hill. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. I really like the game. I like it a lot. Uh, I give it an eight out of ten. I would recommend giving this game a try if you like rolling rights. However, it is a little hard to find, and the price. It's pretty expensive for what it is if you're trying to get it overseas. So I would kind of recommend just kind of waiting it out to see um, if you can get Get On Board that's coming out this year. Unless you are really looking for something that's specifically two players or you know you're going to like it, then for sure get it. But also, I don't know that it's necessarily worth the cost.
0: Well, they're probably going to come out with a dice version at some point, right? Yeah, I mean, they Yellow always might, do. Yeah. yeah, Yellow's
1: yeah. coming out with Get On Board, which is a remake of Let's Make a Bus Route, the original game. Yep. Which I plan on totally getting that one as well. I don't have the original, but I have played it, and it feels very similar. It's just you only two players. What would you rate this game, Bob?
0: I'm actually going to give it a bit of seven, even and, though it is technically a rolling right, which and, is a
1: good, yeah, good um, score for a rolling right.
0: Yeah, seven out of ten for me. I yeah, I I enjoyed it. I the dice is a bummer that they're already fading. I don't know how many times I'm like, what is this? And you're like, oh, there's just this little tick of blue on it. You're like, oh, it's this. It's, the you know, the pedestrian or uh-huh. whatever, you know. Yeah. But, so yeah, that's, that's that was discipline. a bummer. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Overall, great game. Still worth checking out if you get the opportunity. Let's make a bus route, the dice game.
0: The game that I want to talk about is a game called Beyond the Sun. This is a worker placement tech tree game. Ooh designed by Dennis Chan, published by Rio Grande, and it happens to make it in Natasha's list of space games that she likes, so so you know it's good. Beyond the Sun is a space civilization game that focuses most of its energy on the tech tree more than anything else. The game is played over a variable amount of rounds, so it's just going to depend until Players have placed a certain number of their personal discs on a on a set number of achievements that get selected randomly from game to game. Players will continue taking turns until these game end objectives are met, and then everyone's going to get one final turn, and then the game's going to end. A player's turn is broken down into three phases. The first part is going to be the action phase. Every player has a player pawn where they're going to move to a new action space. The game begins with only a few action spaces, but more develop as you research and expand the technology tree. The next thing they're going to do is the production phase, where players can choose to either grow population, gain ore, or trade either resource for the other. And then lastly, you're going to claim achievement. If you've met the requirement for an achievement, you must claim it. And again, this is what's going to trigger the game end. Resources are actually really interesting because your production is going to depend on how many uh, many disks you have removed from each production track. So your personal player board are going to have two production tracks. One's going to be population, one is going to be ore production, and you're going to have discs on each track. And as you remove discs, it increases the amount of population that you can grow turn to turn. It's also going to increase, increase the amount of ore that you can accumulate turn to turn. I think this part is really interesting because specifically with tied into the population is you have to continue expanding that because population is limited. So population is represented by dice and there's going to be a certain number of columns on your player board and you're going to fill them with dice. And as soon as that column's empty, you can no longer acquire more population. And these dice are used to represent people that you need to put down on the different technologies to represent that you've researched that technology. They are also going to represent ships because as much as this is a tech tree game, there is a little space exploration board on the side that's really small.
1: It's funny how the tech tree board is huge, and then the space exploration, which is kind of the whole point of what you do with a tech tree is so that you can go out and explore space, is really small
0: yeah, it's like the exact opposite normally you get the yeah this gigantic map of all these planets, but mm-hmm. it's a it's a real push and pull of how many spaceships do you put out. How many things do you research? Do I have enough population growth that I can continue to get these things? Because if you don't have any of those population dice in your pool from turn to turn, you can't research stuff. You can't make ships. You can't do any of that. So it has this real interesting flow where you have to make sure you're placing these dice on the different technology that you research, but you need to make sure you have enough in your pool to continue doing stuff, Mm -hmm. you know?
1: Yeah, and the way that you can pull out each of these resources is really interesting in the way that it plays out throughout the game.
0: We we talked a little bit about how this is truly a tech tree game, and that's what it is. This game 100% is a tech tree game, which makes it so unique.
1: Yeah, you start off the game with just a few options of turn, uh, actions you can do. And then as people start developing these new techs, then you have more and more options that you can kind of work up this literal tech tree. You know, you can only go up if you start at the bottom and go in that direction. I love that about it.
0: Yeah, there's so the game represents four different kinds of technology. There's going to be science, which is ore production, research actions. You get like ore bonuses. There's economic, which is going to be food production, population collection, ore collection. There's going to be military, which is going to be primarily shipbuilding movement and upgrading those ships. And then commercial, which is going to be colonizing. So as you fly ships around this little small space board, you're going to land on these different planets and you can colonize them, which allows you to remove discs from your player board. It's also going to give you victory points. Sometimes they give you a little special benefit. So whenever you continue on the tree, what you do is say, okay, for example, let's say I'm continuing on the science tree. I would grab... The level of tech card that I'm researching, there's one, two, three, and four. And the game always starts with the same four first level technologies. So let's say I'm doing science into level two. What I would do is I would grab the level two technologies and I would start flipping them until I get a corresponding science technology. Mm -hmm. And then I would get two of those and then I get to pick one and place it. And that's the one I get to research.
1: Yeah, I like how you can focus on whatever area you want, and but then you still get choices as well. Something that's going to benefit you or you think you'll be able to use wisely.
0: That said, the way you research technology is, the way I just described it, is a standard game where you randomly reveal a couple technologies. There is an advanced variant where you set up cards so everyone can see what's on display. Ooh. So you're going to set up a certain number of each type of technology, and then those are going to be open to the game. So the first person to research military has the option of taking that military card. So now you're in charge of how the tech tree f- like flows out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I've yet to play the expert variant, mm-hmm. but I really want to give it a try. I do enjoy that randomly, like let's see what this kind of comes into. And, and for me, it's slightly thematic in the way of, all right, I'm in the lab, I'm researching stuff, and I just kind of come up with something. Mm-hmm. But it would also be kind of cool to have these technologies laid out saying, okay, because some of these technology can be either or. So sometimes they're going to have two of the different types. So it could be science or economic. Mm-hmm. you know. So maybe I want to make sure you're not getting that because I see you have a lot of ships. I want, I might want to change that.
1: That would be a lot of fun. But if you played the game enough, I wouldn't want to do it without playing, the, feeling really good about the game.
0: Yeah, I think it would be difficult for new players to move into that.
1: Or know? if you haven't played it in a while, or only played it a couple times. Yeah. Yeah, I really like this game. I love. I really love this game. Actually, it's so fun. It's so. It feels so good to move up that track and to do all these special actions. The box is like really beautiful art. However, like the components, like the artwork within the game is really bland. But I don't even care. Yeah.
0: Yeah, like the planet cards are kind of. Those are fine. Yeah. yeah. Those are nice. Yeah. But the tech
1: tree itself and each player board, like each player board is black and white. You're like. Is this even fully done? Do they forget to print them? It's black yeah. and white. But but it's fine, it's functional. It is a Euro economic game. So it yep. you know it doesn't really matter what your player board colors are. It's fine.
0: I love the fact that it's different than what we see. Normally we'll see space games with technology and this is all about that technology. That said, my one kinda I would say gripe is you're putting forth all these efforts. To research technology to get to specifically level four, because that's where the cap is. Mm -hmm. You know, level ones are all exactly the same, then you have level two, three, and four. And normally, when somebody hits level four, the game's ending. Mm -hmm. So, one of the random achievement cards that get placed, one typically tends to be. First person to research a level four, get, r- level four technology claims this achievement. Mm-hmm. It's usually right at that cusp of, okay, as soon as somebody does that, the game's going to end pretty quick, which is somewhat a bummer because if you're you not. going to be able to
1: get up there too? Yeah. If you don't not, like games that just end when somebody gets to the, yeah. to the big um, climax there. You know,
0: I, And maybe I'm the one who does it, so it still feels good. But if I'm not the one who does it. It no. kind of, yeah, I want to get that level four technology because they're so cool. But most of the time they're they're
1: victory points, yeah. They're end game, game victory story points, yeah. yeah. No, I, I that doesn't bother me at all. I don't think that's a great with the game. I think the game the game is great, and I I think I wouldn't want it to drag on any longer.
0: What would you rate the game?
1: Like a nine, nine and a half. I love it. I want to play it more. I'm not ready to play the expert variant yet. I've only played it a handful of times, and far enough in between where I don't really remember the cards mm-hmm. that well. But I really want to. I want to delve deep into this game and play it a bunch of times.
0: See, you just mentioned something that is it ha- actually has adjusted my rating, playing it more. So I'm rating the game an eight out of 10. and part of the reason is I've played it, I played it a handful of times in real life, but I've also played it on board game arena. Oh, quite a bit. and this game needs an expansion with more technologies. Because it's kind of gotten to the point where I have a general idea of what the different technologies are going to do. Mm-hmm. And I've played the game enough where I'm not experiencing new tech. Mm-hmm. So that tends to like bring it down. And I think that hurts replayability in the long term. Not not like terribly, you know, it's going to be one of those things that you pl- I feel like you play a bunch mm-hmm. and then you bring it out once a year. You know? Yeah,
1: yeah, I can see that, especially that's my only gripe with playing these games online is that you, you kind of get yourself to that point. You know, the amount of times we replay a game, if you don't play it online. I don't think that'll
2: be a problem.
0: No, and it definitely is one of those games that can easily get an expansion, just more tech cards yeah I think if they did that, that would be like the perfect expansion for this type of game, and I think it just would extend the lifespan mm-hmm. you know, just like we talked about in the last episode about you know ticket to ride getting those extra cards or whatever tends to help because you start recognizing the different patterns that people are doing. Mm-hmm. This is somewhat similar in that regard, but again it's it's still not to the point where I think. I would give up on the game or whatever. Like, I still really like the game. 8 out of 10 is good. Mm-hmm. I would definitely recommend giving this game a try, especially if you like tech trees. If you like the space theme, definitely give this one a go. That one's beyond the sun.
1: Yeah, and it's easily available now. For a while, it was hard to get.
0: Yeah, I think at Origins, one guy was selling it for like...
1: 130 bucks.
0: Yeah, it was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like
1: It is a pretty pricey game. Um, One of our friends got it, and I was like, that's all right. I'll just play his copy since it's a little pricey, but... I still really like it.
0: Yeah, really good game. I love, the, I love the tech tree stuff, so check it out, Beyond the Sun.
1: This week I played Kemet Blood and Sand, the new uh, second edition. This is a Dudes on the Map game. It's designed by Jacques Beria and, and Guillaume Montage, published by Medigo. In this game, players are Egyptian gods and attempt to claim their dominance over ancient Egypt. They do this by initiating and winning battles, building their pyramids, controlling territories, sacrificing troops, or taking over other players' pyramids. On your turn, you have five action tokens. You can pray, which is gaining two prayer points, which is the currency of the game. You can raise a pyramid. Pyramids start at level one. You can spend prayer points, adding levels to it, which allow you to buy better power tiles. You can also buy a power tile that matches a pyramid that you control. You can recruit, where you spend your prayer points to add units to your district or you can move one of your troops to an adjacent zone or teleport from your district to another zone with an obelisk for two prayer points. If you move into a zone with another player, that triggers a combat. I love the combat system in this game. You've probably heard it referenced before. All players get eight cards. Each card gives you a strength value you add to your troop. Each player secretly chooses one of the cards to play and one of the cards to discard. They reveal the cards at the same time, and whoever has the most strength wins the battle. Then the players figure out how much damage they dealt, and that is determined by the battle cards as well. Each card has a blood drop and a shield value on it. Each blood drop I have, my opponent loses a figure minus any shields they played. What makes this game so fun is the tech tree within it. All players start off with the same abilities, but as you buy each of these abilities, which are all mostly unique, you have different special powers that all seem way too good. They all seem like they're way overpowered.
0: Busted. Yeah, yeah
1: like that's not fair that's way overpowered and then you get a tile and everyone else is like that's not fair that's way overpowered
0: yes yeah i
1: love that part they're so good and i think there's uh, some duplicates on level one but beyond that they're all completely unique
0: and they have monsters that you can get yeah and you have <laughs>
1: monsters and i actually buy these monsters because i have to win battles like you don't get any points by losing battles on this game you have to win
0: yeah i'm curious what your rating's going to be on this based on the fact that you can't like just plan on dying every single time
1: no you can't i although you do i do there is some strategy where somebody's attacking you and you're like well you only get points when you're the attacker and you win a battle you don't get a point if somebody attacks you and you win the battle so when somebody's gonna attack me and i don't think i can win i do intentionally lose the battle but try to do as much damage as i can to them and then go back out, like, knowing it's my next. If I if it's my next, if I'm the next one to have yep. a turn, and knowing that I'm gonna just attack them and take them out, I like that part of it.
0: You like to, you like to screw over the person who's attacking you.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you get points that way.
0: This game was once described to me as a knife fight in a phone booth, and it is.
1: Yeah, the board is really big, but you can get anywhere within the board within a couple moves. So if you I have think a it's decent- three,
0: right? Like, yeah,
1: if you have a decent move action, a couple special abilities, everybody can move their troop one space, but you get special abilities that allow you to move more. You can move to just about anywhere on the board, and you are incentivized to move. Like, there is no point in staying where you're at because you're only going to get points if you attack your opponents and win. And there's a few other various ways, but the best way to get points is attacking and win.
0: So it's a race, right? Mm-hmm. Race to 10? Nine points. So it's a race to nine points.
1: And then you have to have nine points at the start of your turn. So yeah. everybody has a, gets a chance to take you down there.
0: Because there are permanent points and then there's temporary mm-hmm. points. Temporary points is going to be basically holding certain objectives.
1: Yeah. Like your pyramids, if you get your pyramid to a level four, um you get a, a, a temporary point. It's temporary because if somebody invades your district, now they're in your pyramid, they get your victory point. You get victory points, temporary victory points, by being in certain spaces on the board. Uh, So when you have nine points, everybody can either try to get more than nine points to to beat you or they can try to take one of your points away.
0: It's an interesting moment in the game when you hit nine points and you just look around and everyone's gunning for you. Mm -hmm. Everyone's goal in that game is to make sure as soon as Natasha hits nine, because she's usually the first one that hits nine, (laughs) we're like, all right, Natasha needs to go down.
1: Mm -hmm. And that is a complaint with the game, not just because it's meat it needs to go down, but a lot of these style games tend to go to the second best player because everybody spends their resources taking out the first player who's in first place and then the second player next one up just kind of comes along and takes it from them. You know, that can happen. It it hasn't happened yet in our games, but, um, you know, that is a flaw with these style games.
0: Any games that we've played of it, it feels like the first person to take out that top player basically ensures that the other players have an opportunity to still build and still can take out the next player.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. The last game I played, I reached nine. First,
0: obviously. mm -hmm. Yeah. And then somebody came
1: along and attacked my district, took one of my control on my pyramids, and then somebody else got to nine points. And then somebody else had this big grand move where they could get three more points and get ahead of everybody else. So it did, did give everybody a turn, but it also felt like it a little bit dragged on. I think with five players, next time I played a seven, um, even though it might take, you don't get to build up as long either.
0: Is that a is that a variable rule and setup? You can play yeah. to seven? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah.
1: It felt kind of long, so they took it away from me and then it got back to me and then I earned it back. I attacked the person who was in my district, so I got a victory point for attacking them. Which is actually, you only get two movements in the game, which means you can only start two attacks. Unless somebody's in your district, then you can attack them by recruiting, which is a third extra way to attack people on your turn. So it's really not a good idea to sit in somebody's district for very long. I was able to re-attack them and then earn my, and then I would reclaim that victory point. So that got me two. And then at that point, nobody could do anything about it. And it came back to me.
0: This game is all about seizing opportunity that comes in front of you. Yeah. You know, that's what you need to do. You need to make sure that you find, like, strategic opportunities and strike.
1: Yeah. And then you want to get the the tiles that are going to benefit you the most by maybe the ones that combo the best together, that do really well together. Um, I really, really like this game a lot. I love the combat system. You know, combat usually leaves you with a weak troop. So you don't really want to stay out there because then it makes you an easy target mm-hmm. and somebody can come in and just easily get a point from you. So you often want to recrawl your troops, but you may also want to keep them out knowing that you can easily go back into battle and and take out that person that maybe just attacked you because they're weak. You know, it really kind of depends on the player order. There's a lot of manipulation with the player order. That's really interesting. I really love this game. It took a little bit for me to get into it. I had to play it a couple times before I really grasped it. It's a little, um, it's definitely more of a complicated game. Yep. The rule book is terrible. You should just go online and learn how to play it. Somebody have somebody teach you how to play. It. That's the best way. With with all of its flaws. I love it. I rated it a nine. How do you rate it, Bob?
0: Uh I would give it a seven out of ten. Really? Yeah. I liked it. It was good. There's a there's a couple of things that I think I would I don't know, I don't want to say change, but there's other dude on the map style games that I like better Mm -hmm. i will say i do like that you develop your own player powers Mm -hmm. you know i love having player powers but it seems that i actually enjoy cultivating my own throughout the course of the game Mm -hmm. you know i'm starting to enjoy that more and more especially in like blood rage and this so i really like that aspect of it but in some ways it almost feels a little too restrictive okay if that makes sense. Like, specifically with the movement, you can only move one space. But that said, you can get... I think they say you can get anywhere on the board in three moves.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's not hard to get extra movement. You can get it from no. the cards that you get. There's some um, Divine Intervention cards that everybody can get that have little things here and there.
0: Yeah, I definitely liked it. I liked other... I think I like other ones slightly better. But, yeah, no, this one's good. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like the card play. I think it's fun because when you play a card, you... Take one card, discard it, and then have the other card. Yeah. So it starts limiting the amount of information you can that you convey to players. I wonder if it's just a smidge too little information. Like it just rides that cusp of you have eight cards, you discard two, or you're playing two, you discard one, you don't know what that is, so then it narrows down the options. Mm-hmm. It's just enough to not really know what that other person has. Yeah. You know, where in something a game like Ankh, you know. You know, you know exactly. what's left in their hand, right? Because yeah. all that's visible information. I but.
1: like that you get... So you get eight cards. Every time you're in battle, you discard one, play one. So you're incentivized to get into a lot of battles so you can pick your cards up back yep. up sooner because you don't get to take an action to pick up your cards. You get you play all your cards. Once four of them have been played and four have been, have been discarded, you pick them back up.
2: Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think this game is great. If you get an opportunity to play it, I definitely recommend at least giving it a try one time because... Uh, It's often referenced on a lot of different style games. I think it'll be around for a while. I think the Blood and Sand is much better than the original. However, Yeah, it's very pretty. Yeah. However, the original, you can probably get used. I bet you it's going around pretty easy to get a copy of a used game, and that's worth checking out, too, because there's not too many differences, and you can always modify the rules with the newer rules. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, it's very, very similar. But I would check that out if you get the opportunity. If you're interested in dudes on the map game, you like area control, you like battling, anything like that, give Kemet Blood and Sand a shot.
0: So the next game I want to talk about is a game called Cape May. It is a city building area control economic game designed by Eric Musso and published by Thunderwork Games. So in this game, players take on the role of entrepreneurs developing property to build wealth and earn prestige in the city of Cape May. The game is played over the course of four seasons, and each season is going to have three rounds. And those rounds are actually going to be broken up into three phases. The very first phase is going to be the reveal event phase. There's a deck of event cards, and you're going to reveal one and resolve it. Next players are going to move into the take actions phase, where each player is going to take a total of three actions, and then the next player in line will take their three actions. So players can play or retrieve movement cards, you can build or upgrade buildings, you can draw or play activity cards, or you can collect money. And then after everyone has taken their three actions, you're going to advance the lighthouse and first player markers, and then if you happen to move into a new season, you're going to gain income. What players are ultimately trying to do is they're developing properties around Cape May. In order to do that, what they need to do is they need to move their worker to be adjacent to different lots. So there's four types of land that are on the board. There's going to be gravel, grass, dirt, and sand. Gravel is usually the easiest to build in, and sand's usually the hardest to build in. And that usually means more money. But you tend to get more victory points out of building in the sand or income. There are two different types of buildings that you're going to be building. There's going to be commercial buildings, and then there's going to be residential buildings. The commercial buildings generally give you money during your income phases and then they're actually going to be factored into an area control aspect which is end game scoring and then the residential buildings don't necessarily give you as much money but they work towards giving you more victory points and they also are compared to the area control aspect what makes this game fun is that push and pull between building your different buildings because you want to build your commercial businesses in order to provide you income turn to turn. And they also go towards area control scoring at the end of the game, but they also don't provide you any sort of victory points.
1: Yeah, I feel like you kind of want to build those commercial buildings early on so you get your money engine going. And then later in the game, you want to build those residential ones. But you don't want to waste your movement moving all over the board. When you're in a spot and you can build on both, you want to go ahead and build because you're there. Because you can't do a whole lot of building unless you're
2: in the area.
0: Yeah, so building is pretty restrictive because the set of actions you can take is playing or retrieving your movement cards. So every player is going to get a set of movement cards, and they range from one to seven. And you play it, and then you're able to move your little meeple around the board to get to these certain spots. And where your meeple sits on the street, you can be adjacent to different buildings. Mm -hmm. And then you have the ability to build and upgrade buildings you're adjacent to.
1: Yeah, I I love the movement part of this game. I think I like the card play with it. You can wait and play all your cards. We had a friend play the entire game and never pick up his deck of cards, which was um possible as well. Or you can just keep picking them up and playing the same ones you like. But I like that restricted movement with the cards.
0: Yeah, so there there's also one way streets.
1: That's kind of frustrating, but it does forces you to plan out your moves a little bit better.
0: And I think if the if the game didn't restrict your movement on the board, it'd almost be too easy. You can you know, just go wherever you want. Yeah, yeah, you could just yeah, throw it on a card and go. But with the fact that they have one-way streets, it makes you have to plan out your turn. Mm-hmm. The way you're scoring most of your victory points is going to be through developing your residential buildings, which is cool because you start off with a cottage, then you turn it into a Victorian, and then you can turn it into a landmark. Mm-hmm. The Victorians and landmarks are the ones that are going to be scoring the points. And the more difficult terrain to build in, so like the sand, for example, tends to score more. Yep. But it costs more in order to upgrade and build those buildings, Mm -hmm. right? And then there's an area control in each region, so again, the, the gravel... Grass, dirt, and sand. Whoever has the most buildings is going to score victory points mm-hmm. based on that area control aspect. And the gravel tends to score more for the area control than the sand. Yeah, I like
1: it's how it's backwards. You can, if you go heavy in one area or the other, you'll still end up getting a decent amount of points.
0: Yeah, you can play the game without. You can avoid essentially avoid the sand, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, and still be able to score quite a few points. And like you like it's it's a it's a cool dynamic of okay I need to start setting up my commercial buildings in order to start making money, yep. you know. But I also need to make sure I'm putting down cottages so I have something to upgrade later on in the game. Mm-hmm. That okay. So one of the things I do want to talk about real quick is because it factors into end game scoring. So you're going to score points based on those buildings. You do have a set of objective cards that you get. You can acquire some additional victory points. But one other thing you can get is a set collection aspect with bird tokens. Mm -hmm. So there's spots on the board that have little bird icons. And whenever your meeple lands on that, you get to draw a bird token out of a bag randomly. Mm -hmm. And you get rewarded for having sets. So if I think there's seven different birds. If you collect a whole set, it's worth like 21 points, right? I understand why they included it for the theme of the type of game it is. But it feels so tacked on.
1: Yeah, yeah. Nobody really goes for it because you don't, you can't build in that location. You don't want to waste a movement to land there to get one draw. And what if it's a bird you already have? You know, it's just.
0: I tried getting bird tokens. Uh-huh. This specifically, the last game we played, I acquired. I don't know, like seven bird tokens because I was just trying. Most to... out of, I've never yeah. seen you. Yeah, yeah, yeah or anything So, and I was specifically going for it, but the problem is, like you said, landing in those bird spots. Doesn't put you adjacent most of the time to anything, mm-hmm. so now you waste a turn to move to get a bird token that you're not, you don't know you're gonna get. Mm-hmm. You or don't you, know you, where you're gonna you're get. You're gonna
1: get at least one to get one point out of it, but that's not very much. But
0: it's not as lucrative as let's say building a cottage yep. or upgrading a college cottage. You know, sometimes you run out of money. Money can be kind of tight in this game because you only receive income three times. Mm-hmm. But it just uh, man. It just feels so tacked on. And that's I mean, it's so not bad. Dis- it's, yeah. just,
1: it's just fine. Ignore it. I mean, I'd like to see somebody go hard into the bird and see if it actually works. Strategy, you know? I we think... You could get 21 points.
0: Honestly, you could eliminate that aspect. The game would be the same. My only thought why they would add something like that is a lot of times when you're dealing with area control and, like, stagnant points... So every Victorian house that you build in gravel is going to be worth two victory points. Every landmark that you have in gravel is worth 10. It doesn't give as much variability in scoring. So it gives you a nice little like if you can get an extra couple of birds, like maybe you can win based on those two points. Right. Mm
2: I didn't
1: mind it when I had I had one card that allowed me to uh, to build a building on a diagonal. So then I could get on the bird tokens and then build my building. So that was helpful. But I still end up not getting very many.
0: It was one of those things that like... mm, Because I think
1: ideally with the game, you want to move as little as you can to not waste actions on moving.
0: Yes. You get a total of 36 actions through the entire game. So you're very limited to the amount of actions you can take. So wasting an action to stop at a bird token that doesn't do anything for you except gives you a random bird token, Mm -hmm. you could eliminate that from the game and it'd be fine. That said... When you get special, when you were talking about that special card that you can set on one and then you can do stuff diagonal Mm -hmm. like that now makes it a little bit better. Now you can go for these like bird tokens. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of want to move into talking about the activity cards. So you can you start off with a couple activity cards, and then you acquire more throughout the game. One of your actions is to draw two and keep one. You can play them. They're actions, but they don't follow your standard list of actions. So, for example, one of the cards can be like, "You can do two builds,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, anywhere on the board, or you can do two builds adjacent to you." Or
1: they allow you to move to other areas of the board. You don't have to use quickly. your movement yep. cards. They allow you to build at a discount. They allow you to upgrade buildings that you're not next to, which is huge. That saves you extra movement. Those cards are huge, and that's really a lot of the fun of the game is in getting those cards and making sure you're using them to the best of your ability.
0: Yeah, those activity cards are a lot more important than what I first thought when I first played the game.
1: Yeah, they're huge.
0: Yeah, they they can just do a variety of different things. They can get you out of pinch. Like you can all of a sudden upgrade a Victorian house into a landmark somewhere on the board that you're not next to. So that movement restriction is kind of lifted through that. And I really love that card play yep, with those. I
2: love it.
1: Can I talk about the event deck?
0: Yeah, go for it. I you, don't
1: like the event deck. I thought you loved it. I hate it. It's random. <laughs> It's totally random. Like it's a deck of cards and then you randomly flip over yep. what four of them. No, it's one for each round, so twelve. You're gonna play with twelve. Yep. And you don't know what they're gonna get. Some are good, some are bad. And what, which is fine, but some are good for some players and don't affect other players. And I don't like that. Like you get a dollar for every building you have on gravel. That might come up. It might not. Yep. I just it's small enough where it shouldn't matter. Like you might end up getting two or three coins. It probably all evens out. But I just, I don't like it. They should be all, even for all players. Like, they should be, all players get a discount for building this type of buildings. Or, you know, certain things that affect all players equally, I'd be fine with. But even then, I just don't like it. It doesn't need to be.
0: Yeah, I thought it was meh. Like, I didn't care that much. Like, it it gave enough, like, chaos to the game. Which was kinda something cool. But yeah, I think the ones that were like this round, everyone can build a commercial building for one dollar less or whatever happens Mm -hmm. to be. I think those are cooler than all right, if you have cottages and gravel, you get a dollar per cottage. Mm -hmm. Well, it feels really bad when you've all of a sudden you spent your last turn upgrading all those cottages to Victorians and now you don't get any money. Mm -hmm. Or you're just
1: not in that area, you don't get anything. It's too it's too random. I don't like that. Yeah. It should be equally beneficial or harmful for all players. But even then, like, even if you have one that's harmful or good, it's not going to affect all players because you might not want to build and grab all that turn. So it just isn't needed.
0: Yeah, I think there was one that's, like, you don't draw bird tokens when you land on bird spaces.
2: Yeah, like, okay,
0: like, uh, all right. Well, that's actually where I was going because it. I went. I'm going to the one spot where the bird, the double bird tokens, next to a place uh-huh. I can build. Right. I'm
1: amount of money and yeah. saw ball there because I can't do anything else until I
2: get income.
1: Yeah, I I liked it. It was fun. The components are nice. The board is beautiful. I liked the, the action cards. Um, I liked a lot about it, but it was also just fine. You know, like yeah. I don't have a deep desire to keep playing it and to try to get better at it. I think I played it as about as good as I could and there isn't enough puzzlingness to it to make it that interesting. It's it's fine. It's beautiful. It's it's simple. I can see other people liking it, but to me it's just an okay game.
0: You know, I was really excited when I saw this game and I really liked the artwork. You get plastic pieces for your upgraded buildings that look really good, and when they're out on the board, they yeah, look awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, it it's by a publisher that I really like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really wanted to get my hands on a, on this game, and I did. And unfortunately for me, I was a bit let down. I agree with you that it just we. Pl- I remember playing it the first time and said, "Okay, I need to play. I need to make play it again because I feel like there's something I'm missing." Mm -hmm. And then playing it again, I don't like you said, it was fine. It's one of those games that I think if it stays in the collection, I'm gonna, you know, I'll play it maybe just randomly a couple times. But I just the problem is with so many good games, it's a game like this. I just don't see myself grabbing pulling out. Mm -hmm. I mean, at this point, let's get into ratings. I I'm giving the game a 6 out of 10 because there's parts that I really liked. I liked how cool the board ended up being after it was all, you know, mm-hmm. built up. And I it had me thinking, you know, round and round, like, what am I going to accomplish? Oh, I want to talk about one thing specifically, and that's the actions. Each player takes three actions and then moves to the next player. Mm-hmm. I hate that. I really don't like that at all. And part of it is because, so, I'm first player, okay? Mm-hmm. I take my three actions. Ashley takes her three actions. You take your three actions. Okay. We advance. It comes back to you. No. no so, so we, It doesn't come back to you. No. You
1: passed the first turn. Back now, now you're last.
0: Now I'm last. I so, don't like
1: that either. It's so, like, it feels needlessly fiddly.
0: Well... It, and does, it just
1: keep going in a circle.
0: Yeah. And it just like... So now you wait for... Ever mm-hmm. and as as much as I don't like racing games or anything like those lines, I also don't like to be the player that's going slow. Mm-hmm. you know if it gets to the point where I'm holding up the game, I'm just gonna make a decision and live with it like i'm I can't keep stewing about my turns, but the fact that it so I'm first player, so then you know two p- people go, it gets moved, and then those two people go again mm-hmm. and then it comes back to me. It's just such a long time to wait. Yeah. It also doesn't allow me to block. So let's say you move to a spot where I'm at. Well, I can build something to take it away from you. I can't react to what you're doing on the board. You know, I'm just kind of doing my own thing. Yeah. You know, I'm seeing what's left and be like, oh, okay, I'm just going to go do this. I think if the decision was made to go one action at a time, it would be, be more reactive to what the players are doing. There'd be some more interaction. But as it stands now, the only interaction is, oh... You went down this street and you built there. Well, I'm going to go down this street and build over here. Yeah, because it doesn't you know?
1: really matter. There, there's the four different types of lands that matters, but like it doesn't really matter within that land where you build. Right. Yeah. You know, there's unless you've got a card that makes you required. Yeah. It. It. Yeah. Yeah. Just more reasons. I agree with you. I give this a six as well. It was fine. You know, I think this game would be geared more towards people that want to feel like they have a a good big epic game, maybe yeah. like a big style game, but also like don't like complicated games, yep. even though this has a lot of rules, It still feels like you're doing a lot make doing a lot of things. It's just not enough interesting decisions to captivate me,
0: yeah, I think i would okay I would recommend this game to people who like city building specifically because you're you're expanding the city and it looks cool, and one of the draws to that is seeing the board just kind of build itself. Mm-hmm.
1: It's not punishing, you know, I can nope. really see somebody liking it just because it's fun. It's really casual, like yep. calming, like, oh, it's fine to build this. I can build this.
0: Yeah, and if you like area control, too, I can see that. Mm-hmm. But if you don't
1: like something that's too too heavy, too thinky, then this would be a great, yep. This the theme is beautiful.
0: I guess the big thing for me is I had such high expectations for this game and it just, it fell a little bit flat for me yeah you know. it was
1: fine I think the game was yeah. fine if you enjoyed playing it I would never judge you for enjoying it
0: you would judge me for anything no, if you had a chance to judge me yeah you, you would
1: maybe you but anybody yeah. else
0: other players me. not so much so yeah that is Kate May that's gonna wrap up the games that we've been playing this week we're gonna take a quick break but when we come back we are going to talk about getting your friends into board gaming and should you get your friends into board gaming
1: good question Bob let's talk about it
0: let's do it after the break
1: All right, welcome back, everybody. Next up, we want to talk about getting our friends into the hobby. So I know ten years ago or so, when I got when I first discovered board games, my eyes were like, "What? There's this whole world out there that that exists, and I didn't even know about it." And I want to share that with everybody because I love board games. And now I found these huge this huge selection of board games that I can play, and God, I need to play them all. You know, I want to share it with all of my friends. So. should we be evangelizing this hobby? That is the first question I want to ask.
0: I don't have a good I don't know. Yes, no. Yes. Yes, no. Maybe? Yes, we should
1: to our friends that are interested. That is the yes.
0: key. Yes. <laughs> okay, fair. Yeah. That yeah,
2: is the enough. key.
1: You don't go door to door. <laughs> you don't do that. And <laughs> you don't go to every one of your friends and say, "Let's play board games." However, with people that are interested in it, asking you questions like what are you playing those are the people that you can introduce games to so number one I think knowing your audience so what are some clues we can look for that shows shows us that our friends are interested and kind of want would be um, excited to learn about these
0: at least for me I know when people come over and see my board game collection there's two kinds of people like what is all this well those aren't the people that I'm trying to have like get into the hobby you're not
2: going to be
1: like well let me show you
0: yeah no No, but the people that are like, oh, you play board games and are like intrigued by it? hundred percent. Yeah. Let's sit down.
1: Yeah. So let's look look for some clues, right? Yeah. If people say, oh, I don't like complicated games, you know, then don't. Don't play complicated games with them.
0: I think the thing I hate more than anything is when you're interacting with people outside. Like, So outside, let's say somebody hasn't come over to my house and seen my board game collection. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're just like, oh, so what are you interested in? You're like, oh, you know, I like to play board games and the whole like, like Monopoly.
2: Yeah.
1: (sighs) Oh, that bothers you?
0: Oh, it drives me crazy. Yeah, but that's their
1: reference point, right? That's what they know. Oh, yeah, like Monopoly. But I like games with a little bit more strategy and a little bit more choices. You know, games maybe a little quicker that people don't end up arguing about. But yeah, like Monopoly.
0: Yeah, you're probably better a better ambassador to to board games <laughs> than me. Don't shame
1: them yeah. for liking a particular game.
0: Most of the people, when they say it like Monopoly, they say it in such a way that you're just like, oh, you clearly didn't like that game as a child. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I would say, yeah, but ones that are fun.
0: Ones that actually have an ending.
1: Yeah, say, yeah, but, you know, I, yeah. I like to focus on that. If I get invited to a board, let's say somebody invites me, I'm having board games at my house. I'm playing board games at my house. You want to come? I'm like, yeah. But I have no idea what I'm getting into. Sometimes it's board games I'm anticipating. Sometimes it's um, a lot of people think of like, you know, trivia games, um, those party uh, games like What the Meme and Cards Against Humanity. A lot of those style games, you yep. know, you don't want to show up with ticket to ride to one of those games. So if I'm not really sure, you know, the people and what kind of games are interested, I might bring like uh, just one So Clover, maybe even Codenames, I think those kind of fall into those categories where they might be interested in those types of games.
0: Do you have like a certain like set of games you go to to like get somebody into the hobby? Like the progression, like I'm going to teach you this and then we're going to do this and then we're going to do this. No,
1: I don't ever try to get somebody into the hobby. Like if somebody is interested in getting into the hobby, I will be there for them. And I will welcome them into the group and teach them anything they want to learn. Yep. But I don't ever, ever set out trying to get somebody into the hobby, with the exception being of my kids. I have been raising them my entire life trying to get into the hobby. <laughs> and it's clearly failed. No, I shouldn't say it's clearly failed. They, are, they do play board games with me.
0: With this topic, it's funny that we're talking about bringing new people in because it's always been one of those things for me that nerd culture... "Quote unquote nerd culture mm-hmm. is something that happens in basements. Mm-hmm. So growing up playing a lot of D anD D, you if you were if people found out you played D anD D Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. you know it was definitely not looked on as being cool back then. It's it's, it's cool. St- hey, stop cool. it. It's cool now. All right, <laughs>
1: you've just found more people that are like you and think it's cool.
0: No, celebrities are doing it.
1: Nerd celebrities?
0: Yeah, so Joe Magnanello? Come on now. I don't know who he is. I, what? All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna table Ooh, that you know, for a second. Bri- but...
1: Brandon Roth, Sp- Superman. He played. He plays board games and he played with Will Wien. He's cool.
0: We'll take even um, Henry Cavill, who the new Superman.
2: Does he play board games?
0: No, he plays Warhammer 40k. He plays miniature games. Oh my gosh. So anyway, what a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. The hierarchy of nerd culture. <laughs> <laughs> that should be a that should be another discussion topic later on. We like who's better, the board gamers or the magic the gathering players? But no, so growing up it wasn't cool to be part of that nerd culture.
1: Yeah, and even ten years ago when I got into board games, board games were for the nerds.
0: So for me, I'm always very apprehensive. Like I don't when I meet people, I don't actually tell them about, you know, my passion of board gaming mm-hmm. no. you know i don't bring that up that's just eventually that's something that just kind of comes in a conversation and then when people start feeling intrigued and then you're like well if you want man i mean you can you you know you guys can come over and i can teach you a game or whatever
1: you know what i like to do is ask people i like to ask people do you like to play board games and they'll be like, yeah because everybody says yeah,
0: and
2: yeah. Like,
1: oh yeah what do you like to play and They'll list off the games i like to play and that gives me a really good idea of you know, do they like to play hobby games? Are they open to playing hobby games? A lot of people will play very basic games, you know, Uno, Sorry, but then they'll play something unique like Magic or Dungeons and & Dragons, and then I'm like, okay, that's a little bit I can get you in. Or if they like, you know, a lot of party-style games like scategories or Pictionary, I'm like, okay, you'd probably like um, Just One or Code Codenames, uh, that style game too.
0: Well, like the D&D thing, if you know people who like D&D, you can always do... Then I'm not Ro- afraid
1: to haul out my nerdy ones. You yeah, know, you like do- I can haul out all my, my area control, like big epic games and they'd be fine with it.
0: Well, even then you could do role player. You could do Lords of Waterdeep. Oh, so you know? many. Yeah, yeah, there's so many.
1: That's no problem. It's the people that are in the nerd culture that I, uh, you know, feel like would really enjoy board gaming. And I have a few friends that... Are- are, are like that they like strategy based games mm-hmm. you know they don't want to learn a ton of rules but they're willing to play ticket to ride you know um splendor even though they're not necessarily a gamer or fit into that nerd culture
0: yeah i think ticket to ride has been my most successful get people to learn board games mm-hmm. i think it's simple enough it's approachable it's I mean it's so mainstream you can get it anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, you can get it at Target, you can get it at Barnes and Noble, like it's you can get it in the local grocery store, you know? Yeah. So the it being that approachable I think tends to help like I know for me like I said personally Ticket to Ride has always been successful in getting somebody there like oh, this is what a board game can be.
1: So one of my friends, he I've been trying to get him into games for a while hasn't really been interested. I play a lot with his wife. She really likes playing board games. And, um, he, he, you know, he told me, he's like, oh, I've been playing a lot more games, but the problem is every time we play a game, I learn it. And then they, we set it to the side and they're like, all right, we're gonna play another game. And I'm constantly learning new games. So I never get to play the same games again. So one of my, um, strategies and what I would recommend to anybody teaching newer players to play games is to teach them a game and play it a couple of times. You don't have, they, they're not necessarily interested in learning every single one of your games. They're happy to learn one game and play it again and again, because that kind of gives them more familiar with it. They can feel good about not having to relearn a game as well.
0: If you've grown up playing board games, that's how it was. Yeah. You know, how many games did you have in your house? Five. You know, and it's the exact same five. So they're used to a small selection, playing the small selection multiple times. Yeah, you
1: learn it one time. Fine, that's fine to learn a new game. You know, but they don't want to constantly be learning new games. The goal is not to play as many games as they want. The goal is to just play a game that you like. Yeah. So that's my recommendation is if you do get somebody to, you know, learn a new game and they like it, play it again. We also have somebody newer in our game group. He's been playing with us for about, you know, almost a year, maybe six months or so, and very interested in learning all new games and wanting to play them all. But every time he's there, I always try to pick a game to play that he has played already. Therefore he is playing one new game and one game he's already played. So he's not always feeling like he's learning a new game at all because when you learn a new game, you're going to lose, right? So then every single game you play, you're losing. Like, that's not fun either. Like, I've got somebody who's interested in this hobby coming into board game night, playing all the time. I want to make sure that they feel like they're learning and getting better and getting good at something, you know? Being
0: competitive. Being
1: competitive, yeah. Like, losing every single game is not fun either.
0: Yeah, you almost need to feel good about what you've accomplished in the game, even if you don't necessarily win, right? Mm -hmm. You still need to feel good about your play that you did. Mm -hmm. Because we're, you know, because we're snobby board gamers and we always need to play the next Mm -hmm. best thing, right? Like, it's tough because it doesn't give us a chance to, like, with newer players to, you know, play these new games or these games over and over again Mm -hmm. and get them to feel competitive in a game.
1: So if you do have somebody who is interested And learning all these new ones, make sure you're playing the same games again, at least a couple times.
0: It's one of those things for me. Normally, what I'll do is, again, like I said, my go-to tends to be Ticket to Ride. I've never not been successful with Ticket to Ride, teaching that game and people enjoying it. Mm -hmm. And then once we've played that a few times, then I start moving into another similar like gateway style game. You know, or yeah. welcoming game. Yeah.
1: And then you play that a couple of times. Yeah. That's yep. perfect. Exactly. So we talked a lot about we've got our elite board gamers. That's us. We're obsessed with board games. You know, if you tell me, like, oh, yeah, I played this specific game, I'll know what you're talking about, even if I haven't played it. You know, we've got that end of the spectrum. And then we've got non gamers end of the spectrum. And then in the middle, we've got casual gamers. And I think we're going to see more and more casual gamers. A yep. lot of my friends will you know own ticket to ride they own splendor they play that with their kids but they don't they're not obsessed with board games like you and i are so they own those games instead of clue and monopoly they've got like three or five good hobby board gamers in their collection and that's yeah. it you know and that's what they play and when you when they'll be more open to playing new games and so you might get a little aggressive with them so you you need to also be careful that you're not overwhelming them either just because they're a casual board gamer doesn't mean they want to be a hobby board gamer.
0: It's hard to not get so excited when you meet the cash the casual board gamer. Yeah, and I think that's the group that's the toughest to to try to not be so excited about because when you meet the person there, you're like, yeah, you know, I've played Ticket to Ride, I've played Splendor, we we own a Zool. Yeah, you're like, wait a sec, have you have you have you played Great Western Trail? <laughs> oh my God, you have to play Great Western Trail. That's my favorite
1: game. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh
0: my God. Like, you haven't played that? Like, let's sit down and play this. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard when you meet a person who's played games casually and has seen, has owned and played those types of games to not get excited about other games. You automatically assume they're into it. Yeah. They're going to be just as gung ho about this hobby as me. Yeah. You know, and that, I think that's the group that is the hardest to not like, come play games with me. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah.
1: So my suggestion for them would be play games that they already like, right? Unless they're like open, they're like, oh, I want to learn something new. Then I would try to find something with a similar mechanic that they've played before. If they love a certain game, I would, you know, maybe find something along that same genre or the same heaviness as as that. I wouldn't necessarily need to escalate it because a lot of people like that style game and they're good with that. You know, just you can show them a few more, but don't you don't, you don't need to escalate it. It can be where it is.
0: Yeah, sometimes you just got to accept people where they are. If they're not into it, they're not into it, you know? Yeah. It's it's tough when you're so excited about something and you want to share it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And people are like, ugh, you know? <laughs> but that's fine. Like, you know, people don't necessarily need to, you know, like the same things we have to, we like, uh-huh. you know?
1: That's why I'm so excited about a lot of these new games that are coming out with these really accessible themes that aren't so so dark and so nerdy you know i think we can easily get a lot of these games out and play and and introduce them to people and they'll be open to playing them
0: board game publishers have gotten a lot better too about getting their games in more mainstream stores stores Mm -hmm. yeah so your targets your grocery stores your barnes and nobles you're you're seeing a lot more of these style games in them like They have a lot
1: of the bad games, but then they have a a whole row of good games, too.
0: Yeah, I mean, you go into Barnes & Noble, and they're they're selling Marvel Champion. Who goes to Barnes & Noble anymore? Yeah, like who goes to a bookstore? We just buy it on Amazon. (laughs) Give Jeff Bezos your money.
1: (laughs) Yes, I agree. I even saw some at Kohl's. King Domino.
0: Yeah, Kohl's has a King Domino. Yeah.
1: All right, that's it for what we think about getting our friends into the hobby. Next week, we want to talk about board game jargon. Go through the definitions and talk about the different style games and what they mean. Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Facebook. That's the Board Game Shenanigans podcast. Have a great week, everybody.
0: See you next week.